Hey guys, I want to welcome you to the weekly Wednesday for the Financial Freedom Newsletter, where every week, every Wednesday, we delve into something inspirational, motivational, something excerpt taken from the Financial Freedom Weekly Newsletter. Wherever you are, if you're listening on Spotify, on iTunes, Google, be sure to click the like, subscribe, share, comment. Without ado, let's get into the show. Welcome, everybody, to this week's podcast episode for the Financial Freedom Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Christopher Liu. And as you know, we talk about four different types of freedom, uh, time, financial, location, health freedom. In that light, I'm always scouring the globe, looking for influencers, people uh, shaping the thought leadership landscape. And so today we have Paul Johnson. He is actually the youngest mayor of Phoenix, Arizona at 30 years old, and he's been involved in politics. And um, so today we're here to talk about his work um, and uh, his message to the audience. So I'll let uh, Paul introduce himself and welcome him onto the show. Welcome, Paul. Uh, thank you, Chris. I appreciate you having me here today. Yeah, you actually have a very interesting background. You go went through, um, you know, politics, and you wrote a book, and now you're um, on podcast. So tell us, the audience, more about yourself, your background, and we'll go from there. Sure. So you know, let me start with uh, what I'm doing today, and then I'll kind of back into it. I I own a business. Well, I co-own a business, co-founded a business called Redirect Health. Uh, we're a national platform uh, to help employers put together self-insurance plans. We have somewhere around, I think, 300 providers actually working for us, and we're deeply involved in the healthcare space. Um, for a long time, however, I've been also actively engaged in politics. I became mayor of the city of Phoenix when I was 29 years old. I've run uh, a number of presidential campaigns, none of them that have been successful, but I helped in General Wesley Clark's campaign and Paul Songas and uh, Gary Hartz and, and others over the years. Uh, by the way, I'm a registered independent. I, I, you know, the election that I won was a nonpartisan election or the elections that I won were nonpartisan city elections. Um, but for the last three years, my partner and I have really been working on these big divisions that exist in America. Uh, my partner's name is Dr. Emily Bashett. She's a psychologist. She has a background in terrorism. She does evaluations on terrorists. She's also, uh, her family was persecuted in Iraq. They had to leave, they're Jewish. They had to leave because of the uh, the Ba'ath Party and Saddam Hussein uh, and his group not only terrorized, tortured them, but murdered her family members. Um, so we both have kind of this keen interest. We went around the country and we went around the world and we took a look at what were really the causes of genocides? I'll, I'll try to make the book short. Uh, the book, the thesis of it was um, that, you know, you have these horrific events that end up taking place. I remember one of the stories was a story of the genocide that happened in, uh, uh, in Bos. General Wesley Clark had been there. So I've just interviewed a number of people who uh, were engaged in it. But one of them were a set of our troops were coming up to a trench and we knew that they were burying people inside of trenches and mass graves. Well, when the troops got to the trench, the, the there were guys there pushing dirt over top with bulldozers and with shovels, none of them in the military, they all ran off. When the military got up to the trench, there were literally people in the trench still crying. They, they were burying them alive. The question becomes, 
How does that happen? How do average people get engaged in that type of a process? Well, what we found is that there are three big uh, theses to, to what happens. The first one is, in almost all acts of genocide and terrorism, they're identified with an ideology. Number two, those ideologies tend to be more focused on, uh, on groupthink, on the oppressed and the oppressor. And the third issue is, is that as people get involved, they begin to disconnect from other people in society because people either don't want to talk to them or they don't want to talk to the other people. And then what happens is they only are involved with people who are more actively involved in the ideology. And over time, that can turn into violence. It is an addiction. Well, when you look at how to fix that, I can tell you at the beginning point of it, it's very hard to fix somebody who already has an addiction. If, you de- if you're dealing with a heroin addict, it's, it's tough to be able to solve the problem. But if you can get to them before the problem happens, you have some chance of having success. And that's where finding agency comes in, where maybe this makes a connection back to, to doctors and other folks that are here. You know, the, the negative bias that we all have creates this desire for us or this ability for us to hear negative information and it overpowers positive information. So you're being bombarded on a nightly basis with the nightly news telling you about all the things that are going wrong. We, our social media today have these wormholes that, that you know, people go down that take you into increasingly more negative news. What hap- what's happening? Well, the amygdala hijack, the amygdala portion of the brain is a fight, has a fight or flight instinct. And when it's activated, it sends out chemicals biologically that begin to, to, to hijack the neocortex. The neocortex is where we gain our rational thought from, optimism from. It's where, where we have the ability to be creative and innovative. And when that amygdala hijacks that portion of the brain, you have an inability to be able to do those things. Now, I can tell you, because I spent time in politics, politicians and pollsters and people who run campaigns know that. In fact, I've been given advice in campaigns that the way that you win is that you go out and terrify your base about the other side. You feed them information that tells them how terrified they should be of the opposing side. And once they're terrified, they can't think rationally. And once they can't think rationally, you own that base. Well, imagine that that's being done to you by political parties, by political candidates, by the news media, by social media. It's this constant negative message. And what it does is it gives you an inability to see the good things that are going on. Now, you know, in our nightly news, we're hearing messages of my children aren't going to do as well as, as I'm going to do. The United States is going to be overcome by China. The, uh, uh, you know, it, it's this constant negative message. The first thing that I would say to you is that if you if you want to regain your sense of agency, you have to know the truth. And the truth is, the United States is quite simply the greatest superpower ever. There's nothing like what we have here in the United States. The opportunities that you have, there's nothing like the opportunities that exist here in this country and at this point in time. And the social progress that we've made in the world over the last 20 years, it's unprecedented. We've lifted more people out of poverty. We've taken more people. We've made more people literate. We've reduced child immortality, or mortality, excuse me. The, the, the impacts that we've had 
around the world have been dramatic. The point that I guess I'm giving to you, and I can spend a lot more time on the whole issue of optimism, there are many, many reasons why we should be optimistic about where we are. But when you're being bombarded by this negative message, it begins to terrify you. And that can have an effect on how you invest, what you do in your job, how you get involved with ideologies. That knowing the truth becomes one of the, the, the simple, most important things that we can do to make certain that we have our sense of agency and that we can do the things that we ought to be able to do as a human being. Yeah, very interesting. Uh, very interesting thoughts. And, um, you know, what's interesting is, uh, you know, looking at it. Uh, so, you know, tying this into I, lo I love tying things together, for example, with your background and, you know, your thoughts, synergy between entrepreneurship and, you know, moving forward and progress. What are your thoughts on that? Well, again, I spent a lot of time in government. I think government plays an important role. Um, but, you know, let me start with this. But I've seen great things that government has done. We've, we, you know, during the time that I was there and, and since, they built roads and dams. We built out schools and police departments. There are great many functions that they, that they provide. We've even gone to the moon. The single greatest thing our government ever did was in the very beginning when it empowered the individual over itself. The whole idea of the Constitution, the Constitution is a document that is based upon the moral precepts laid out in the Declaration of Independence. Those two documents are connected. And that concept that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and were endowed upon by certain inalienable rights. That was saying that we as individuals are, are worthy of dignity. In fact, if you look back at it historically, uh, Martin Luther, who was a Protestant, said that that you didn't need a church to interpret what it was that your your views were. And I guess he was a Catholic because at that time there weren't any Protestants. But nonetheless, he became the father of uh, the the Protestant religion. His point was that that you have a direct agency to God. You have a direct connection to Him, and that because of that, you don't need anyone in between you and Him communicating with Him. You are worthy of dignity as an individual. Well, later philosophers like Jean Rousseau said, well, if, if God owes you dignity, so does your government, right? And he created the social contract based upon this idea that government owed each one of us as individuals dignity. Our government was based upon that. And look at what we've created. I mean, we have created unbelievable things with that because we weren't tied up in government having to control every aspect of our lives. So it allowed the ability to resolve problems, not just with government resources and not just with government direction, but by the direction of almost every single individual in our country. All of the great problems that we're going to solve over the next 50 years, maybe not all of them, but almost all, of them, they're not gonna be done by government. They're going to be done by people in the private sector. We're going to create driverless cars, which are going to will have an effect on reducing deaths or eliminating deaths on our freeways, getting rid of the DWI industry that exists today, which is an industry, right? There are prosecutors and defense attorneys and there, there are jails and there are people that are having to deal with all those issues. We can dramatically change that nanotechnology, biotechnology, 3D printing. There are so many changes. And in biology, both of us know there are so many things happening, not only in terms of curing cancer, but maybe even extending life itself, seeing aging as a disease, 
Those changes are dramatic, but they're going to be private sector innovations that make those happen. So the great place to be today, when I was a young boy, in fact, I have a poster behind me with uh, John F. Kennedy on it because I, I spent time at Harvard University in one of their programs at the Kennedy School. But you know, back then it was, it, we, we go to the moon because it's hard. And it was a government innovation that was taking place. Today, those innovations are coming from the private sector. Now, again, I'm going to go back to good news, bad news. So I, in my business, have to work on spreadsheets every now and then, right? I have to sit down and look at numbers and work my way through them. And, and one day, about a year ago, I had to go home for an entire week and work on the spreadsheet, somewhere between about three and eight o'clock at night. So I would go home. I, in the beginning of the week, I turned on CNN, turned the volume off, I'm using my finger. I guess it's a remote now, so I should be pushing the button that tells you how old I am. But in any event, the uh, uh, turned the volume off and then sat down and worked on the spreadsheet. I began to recognize all week long that all CNN was talking about was the capital break-in, the, the challenge with our country being overthrown. Right. So I turned it to Fox to see what they were looking at. All week long, they were talking about immigrants crossing the border, millions of Haitians who were going to cause these huge problems. Somewhere around Thursday at three o'clock, for just a few minutes, there was this uh, spaceship going into outer space with William Shatner on it. And, and it was you know, a kind of an amazing moment. And it made me think back to when I was a little boy in 1969. In 1969, I could tell you the name of every astronaut I could tell you the names of their spouses. I could tell you the names of engineers and NASA. I watched the takeoff of the Apollo spacecraft that was going to the moon. I listened to the countdown. I watched the space capsule flip around in space. And then I watched them land and return. It was an incredible moment of pride in the United States. And our channels all focused on it. Well, in meeting with some CNN reporters, I asked a question, whose job is it to promote optimism in America? And he said, Mayor, that's, that's really politicians' jobs. Well, listen to that story, right? That here William Shatner is going into space with one of two groups where the private sector is commercializing space. And we gave it almost no time, almost zero. All the time was put into why people should be terrified. And again, each channel trying to terrify their own base, just like a politician would do. Here's the answer. Turn it off. It's not helping. Right? It's not giving you your sense of agency. It's not helping you recognize not only your potential, but the potential that exists in the world. There's so much that we have the ability to accomplish. But to be able to accomplish it, you have to own your own agency. Mm, I love that. Uh, how can people follow you? This is really interesting. Um, really thinking and um, ideas on the edge. How do people follow you, contact you, and reach out to you? Uh, so I have a podcast called The Optimistic American, and you'll find on there everything from uh, foreign policy uh, to what's going on inside the private sector. But really, the whole goal of it is to let you know that it's going to be okay. All right, but, uh, Optimism doesn't mean that you ignore problems. Obviously, there are problems. And in fact, I would tell you, pessimists play an important role. And pessimists play the role of continuing to tell us what it is that we need to be working on. But if you look back at our country, it, it, this has been happening for a long time. In the 1960s, 1970s, there was a book, I think it's called The Population Bomb, but 
it, it was a book where they talked about there was no way that the world could keep going the way that we were. We could never have 7 billion people on the planet because you can't feed them. And because you can't feed them, everything was going to collapse and that there was going to be huge, uh, a, a huge world event that would create massive disorder. Here's what they didn't know. They, they didn't know that we were going to create the ability to grow more crops with less water that were that with less land, right? It's like the mayor of New York once said, uh, you can never have more than a million people in New York because where would you put all the horses, right? <laughs> the world changes, right? We're past 8 billion people now. Technology is going to fix most of our problems so long as we keep engaging the human mind and we engage the human mind when we allow them to own what it is that they create, to be able to speak up, even though we may disagree with them at times. The structure that we've created as a government does an incredible amount in empowering the individual. And those two forces together is what's made us unique. And it's why I have a keen interest in business, but I also have a keen interest in the, the political structure. You can also get our book. It's called Addictive Ideologies uh, by Dr. Emily Basha and myself. Uh, that's another place that you can follow us. Um, but in any event, thanks for asking. Yeah. And for all the listeners, let's thank uh, Paul for coming onto the show, um, providing valuable wisdom and his experience. And, you know, be, all of uh, Paul's resources will be in the links and show notes. And with that, thanks so much for coming onto the podcast. Thank you for having me. listening if you like it be sure to like comment share subscribe we're on everywhere spotify itunes google amazon audible and without much ado be sure to thank this show's sponsors and we'll see you next week